Hey, this is Emily Utter from emilyutter.com, the adventurous entrepreneur, and you're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I am your host. This is Paul Kemp, and this is the show where we go around the world and get the most fascinating serial entrepreneurs, inspiring startup founders, uh, anyone who can help us in our lives as we pursue our dreams of uh, a startup lifestyle or maybe living uh, a, a, a independent from a corporation. So if you are in a job and you're looking to wonder and, and you're, I guess, sort of wondering what is going on in the startup world, then this is the show for you. And in fact, this is the episode for you because I have got a wonderful guest for you. Now, this guest is uh, is a serial entrepreneur. He's an actor. Um, it's a shame this is audio only because I'm sure if you could see him, you'll know who he is. Uh, it's uh, the a um, he's a startup uh, founder, invested in lots of different companies, and has a new startup. His name is Nathan Raphael, and he is with us today on the App Guy podcast. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Uh, let's talk about the big one then, the Chevy commercial. Uh, that, that's what you're famous for. How, how did you get that gig? Oh, I, I got really lucky. Uh, yeah, Chevy Chevy came to New Orleans, and uh, I, I didn't know it was Chevy until I, I pulled up in the parking lot, and there was a bunch of cameras and a Chevy. Um, we were we were told that it was a focus group, and uh, yeah, they were just walking around the quarter with uh, with iPads and. Uh, they, they interviewed me on an iPad. Then I got a thing saying, do I want to make 200 bucks to go to a focus group? And I was like, shit, hell yeah, I'll make you know, 200 bucks to go to a focus group. <laughs> and then there wasn't a focus group. It was uh, it was like a filming thing. And they like put mics on us and just like kind of filmed us. It, it, it was it was funny. That, that is funny how uh, sometimes, you know, for all of us, li- life plays a funny hand and you just have to go with it. Now, now I'll tell you, Nathan, we are a bunch of app entrepreneurs, right? But you are uh, extremely successful with e-commerce businesses. And, you know, one of the things I find we find it hardest to do is that um, we sometimes find it hard to, to uh, think about apps in an e-commerce way. So the uh, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the e-commerce businesses you're involved with. Uh, yeah, so my my first e-commerce venture was was just selling online for um, for my ex-wife and I's bakery. It was then called BB's Patisserie, and we, we did you know, health food, gluten free, vegan, allergen friendly things, stuff that was safe for diabetics. And so uh, that that was that, that was my first e-commerce experience, and. Um, you know, you know, honestly, it's so funny. Back then, I really wanted an app, but I was like, like, I guess it was six or seven years ago. It was like 2011 that we first made our website, and uh, I, I didn't have that, so I, I used a like a, a baby version of uh, oh god, the Magento. They, they had a, like a, a Magento Go thing. It was a you know, kind of a cool little back end to build your store on. It was it was pretty easy to keep up, and and it was clean. So I, I used that, and we. We started testing back then um, Facebook ads, and it wasn't really as big of a thing. It wasn't really converting as well, and you know, Instagram or anything wasn't there. So we tried doing you know, SEO stuff and, and Google, and that, that was that was really the only way that we we really got any traffic was was kind of doing a, a little bit old school. But I mean, that you know, six seven years ago is forever in tech terms. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you know, Nathan, what would be really interesting is working out why you wanted to start an e-commerce business, you know, because I think the backstory is, is relevant in that uh, many of us coming to this show think that we can just build an app and we don't have to worry about monetization. We don't have to worry about making money. And then we build the app, spend a load of money, maybe, you know, put our credit cards into debt and figure out, oh, God, we're not making any money. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what's the benefit of getting into e-commerce? It was the it was the exact opposite. It was uh, we had a physical location and I, I just started noticing that we actually had people uh, who, would, who would drive from Houston or Alabama or Mississippi to to come just to our store to because we were making food that really wasn't sold not only in our city but in our region, and it made sense that those people would probably just not want to drive and have stuff shipped to them. Uh, so, so it was for me it was it was purely a functional decision. It, it was I, I had customers who who were in an increasingly broad radius, and I wanted a, the simplest way to take those orders and get it to them. I didn't want them to have to drive. It was honestly a a customer service move for me as a businessman. You know, Nathan, that's a genius thing because often we kind of look at tech as like this hidden uh, uh, amount of users and customers, but here you are solving a real problem, which is a big theme of this show, by the way, uh, which is you you have a physical location for your products and you, you feel like you want to help the, the users by giving online presence. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very different. I've I've very much intersected with tech through through business. I don't really have any tech background, but just because I've somehow not failed as an entrepreneur in a pretty crazy economic decade, um, <laughs> you know, starting in like '06, I've been through a lot of changes in, during my you know twelve years plus of self employment, and um, you know, I, I feel I feel kind of blessed that I. I kind of sit at the intersection of tech in a couple of spaces, like you know, tech and music and tech and food. Uh, that was actually one of one of the my first real travel experience was uh, I got invited to San Francisco to speak at this food hackathon um, about about like start of entrepreneurship, and um, and, and it, it's really interesting the way that since then tech has just kind of become an integral part of of my life and and how much I've been drawn back to Silicon Valley. I mean, there's the you know, I think the the way that business owners like me solve problems is incredible and it's old school and it works, but there's also like innovation in the water out there. You know, like the, the creativity with which Silicon Valley approaches problems is staggering to me and I, I love it. You're going to have to explain a bit more about this food hackathon. I've never heard of a food hackathon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the food hackathon is the brainchild of one Tim West, who I'm very grateful for. He gave me an amazing opportunity um, whenever he allowed me to speak in San Francisco, uh, it was over on Battery Street. Uh, I don't remember the name of the place, but I remember it was over on Battery Street near kind of downtown San Francisco. And it was basically the same you know, the same way people would take a hackathon to solve a problem for an app or you know a coding challenge. He basically wanted to hack the food system. How do we get food into food deserts? You know, like, can we use you know, some Microsoft APIs? You know, like, who can we have there? You know, like they just they had corporate sponsors and they had lawyers, accountants. It was kind of this. He called it a hackathon, but it was really more like a food business incubator boot camp. I mean, it was just it was incredible. The the people that Tim West brought together, and I think that was it was either October or November two thousand thirteen, and um, 
it, it was just it was really cool for me to see as you know, someone operating in Louisiana how much Silicon Valley and data and technology had an impact on our food and on on a larger scale. And that that was that was really my introduction to to technology. Uh, that's wonderful. So uh, one one of the things that I want to sort of touch on is that uh, a lot of us get distracted. Uh, I do feel with our, our businesses because it's all focused on tech and not perhaps too much on the end user. Uh, I wondered as you go into companies, what what's the biggest distraction you see for new startups when they're They've got something going, uh, you know, t- t- tell us what, what the distraction is for them. I, I think the biggest distraction, um, hands down, it, it's, it's two things. Uh, it can be uh, the romantic relationships of the founders and money uh, at a startup level. Uh, b- because at a startup level, often, you know, you're not looking at more than a, a two to four person team. And so, you know, the whole startup lives and dies by the people running it. And I, th- I think oftentimes, you know, in, in tech, we overlook, you know, the, the human elements that even though, you know, these, these are codes that run, it's humans with lives that program them. And, um, and, and I, I, I really try to focus on, on the human elements. You know, people, people who don't have enough money are operating from like a fight or flight position. They're in a scramble and they're not thinking clearly. And it's the same thing as someone who's in like a, a, a day in day out unhappy situation romantically. And, um, I, I th- those are really like the two biggest pitfalls I see. I see people tripping on their own shoelaces because of personal problems. Uh, yeah. Cause we often, neg- we neglect the human side, don't we, to the, a lot of these. And, and this is why we do this podcast is to bring the human side back to, technology into the startups that we explore uh how, how can a startup interfere with the personal side uh, and the um, the relationship side uh, i think especially for for guys you know there, there's very much like a societal kind of breadwinner role where men who aren't making a bunch of money during a startup phase often feel like a little bit more insignificant i mean a lot of times you know a startup guy kind of a a girlfriend who's waiting tables and making more money than him. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, I, and, I, and I feel like that's a horrible thing that men are that insecure. Um, but, but, you know, oftentimes you know, it, it plays up into people's own insecurities and, and, and they fall victim to them. Uh, I think that, that's why there's kind of been this entrepreneur chic, you know, the last five or six years, I feel. But, you know, it, it's, it's not something that really everyone is cut out for. It's, it's very scary whenever the buck stops with you. And actually, if you don't, if, you don't get enough money in your bank account by day X, then you're screwed and it all falls on you. And, and I, I think that everybody wants that kind of sexy entrepreneur lifestyle, but they, there's not enough conversation about all of the stress and the collateral damage that can cause to the people around you that like during your rise to success. And there's, there's a general misconception in my opinion that that success happens overnight. It's often, you know, a decade or more in the making, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and this, this is what we love, is opinions like that, Nathan, because we're trying to unravel the onion and, and, and reveal the true nature of uh, what it takes. And I, I know that, you know, in my experience as well, it, it's quite hard to tr- transition from uh, a corporate job where you don't have to worry about any money. You know, you have it every month and you just pretty much have loans to pay off that... Uh, covered by your salary uh, and then to go to the point where it doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard you work it, it, the 
uh, money doesn't equate to the level of uh, effort that you put in. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, whenever I was, I was like in my early 20s, whenever we first opened our retail place uh, with, with that food company, BB's, I mean, we, we had like 14 grand a month of overhead and we were covering overhead, but we just weren't making any money. And it just felt so crazy to me to, you know, look back at the end of the year and just, you know, see that like, I'd made like a quarter million dollars and I had nothing to show for it. And I was like, oh my God, what am I? <laughs> I was like, how did I see this much money? And like, I just, all I did was pay the bills every month. I don't have shit. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, man, what, where did, where did that quarter million dollars go? Like, I want it back and give it to me. <laughs> 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 so so nathan we have a lot of new entrepreneurs listen to this show right and uh they're often building something from the start and you know it can be really challenging at the start to uh, get demand find demand and, and nurture demand now you've built things up from the start do you have any recommendations or suggestions on how to de- find demand to, to start with a personal problem one of my favorite stories of one of my friends who solved a personal problem is my friend Partha, um, Partha Unava. He has a company called Better Walk Crutches. He, he reinvented the crutch so it doesn't dig into your armpit because a few years back he was on crutches and crutches fucking suck. And, and, and he just realized this is stupid. The crutch hasn't changed since you know, the, the 19th century. You know, why, why is, you know, we've had an industrial revolution. We've got cell phones and FaceTime. Why do crutches still suck? You know, and and then he solved that problem, and and he's he's been very successful simply because he started with a a problem that he personally cared about. Uh, so whenever you start with a personal problem, you're inevitably starting with a user experience, and yeah. and I think that that that's what's missing too much. Too too much people want to start an idea based on a dollar sign, and you you simply can't do that. Like in in, in real business, not in theory, profit is a byproduct of a well run operation. The end. You know, like you have to think about the user experience and doing right by your users and, and in whatever it is, an app, a, a retail store. And if you if you do right by your customer, then then you will do well. And I feel like this is what we often neglect, especially on the app store, because, uh, you know, we often see the most successful apps and we come in very naively and think, oh, we'll just we'll easily clone that and do it better. But we neglect what you're saying is we're neglecting any kind of uh, personal problem uh, that is trying to be solved. Uh, and, and maybe not going back to what we were sort of talking about at the start, we're not seeing the humans behind the technology. Yeah, it's, it's a very important thing to remember. You know, it's, a, it's easy to look at someone as just the amount of hours they're spending on a certain app or, you know, how, how many in-app purchases they're making, you know, and, and what that can do for you. But, you know, I mean, even data, you know, it, it, all, all this shit in tech, it, it, it all comes from, from humanity. It's just being quantified. Yeah. So, so here's one for you, Nathan. Here's a, a dilemma. You know, say you're about to start again. Do you focus more on the product or do you focus more on what the user is trying to get out of the problem solving? Uh, I, I think that that depends on the thing. If, if like if I'm doing an event, you know, the, the, um, where I want to educate people or something, then I'm going to center that on option B, like around the the user, because you know, events are just very experiential. Whereas, you know, it, it, you know, in Partha's case, you know, Partha had to first design the product before he could go and give it to users. So uh, it it, it kind of depends on the particular problem. I think it's an either or. Right. 
Uh, and, you know, the other thing is because there's just millions and millions of uh, apps on the App Store, there's tens of millions of developers. Uh, there's often a, a race to the bottom. You know, you have a good idea, you solve a problem, you put it out there, and then you have 10 clones around you. Uh, how do you deal with competition in technology, Who you know, copycats and that sort of stuff? I, I think that's when you go back to just good old-fashioned marketing. I mean, everybody has done everything. Everybody has had every idea. By the time you put out an app, you know, if, if that app isn't out, there's six other teams working on that same fucking app right now. I mean, I, I mean like, just bar none. There, there, there is, there, there's nothing new under the sun. Someone else is thinking of it right now. And, and so it, it's, it's like just, it's old fashioned brand, branding and marketing. And like you need to have, you know, if, if you're only known, if your real estate is that little icon on that screen, if that's your whole retail store, if, you know, someone just has to see your icon versus the next icon on that app that does the same shit, then you need to figure out how do you put your whole experience and your whole brand into that fucking icon. You know, a, a logo and an icon is, you know, like look at like Facebooks, you know, Twitters, Snapchats, like, like those those images, like those the icons for those apps are are iconic. Yeah, and then I'm reminded in the app world of uh, when Uber changed their icon, and there was uproar. It was horrendous. <laughs> they had a wonderful, uh, you know, you on the, uh, the the icon, and then they changed it to yeah. some weird thing. And <laughs> um, well, anyway, it didn't it didn't affect them too much, but. Uh, uh, no, uh, but but, yeah. but you know, not it wasn't a whole, you know, wasn't a large gap of time between that and a lot of changes in their culture too. You know, so I, I don't think that I don't think you can overlook like the the you can overlook the importance of a logo and a brand. You know, it's a the the logo is a very 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 important part of every company, and it needs to really effectively represent what the company stands for and communicate that in a clear and concise way to to the consumer. Yeah, and I'm reminded, uh, I've just recently relaunched uh, an app on my own, a video uh, app that I'm involved with, and we did a lot of split testing on the logo. And, uh, you know, we ended up going with a logo that, uh, or an icon that, that generated uh, three times more the uh, number of click-throughs. So, um, yeah, it's important stuff. And that's the best way to find that stuff out. That, that's the kind of ways that I've really been working, you know, data into my own decisions is, is split testing. You know, it, just, it really... It allows you to kind of remove the conjecture and the fear of, you know, like whenever I started doing business uh, that without data, you know, in a retail store, you know, you're just guessing what's going to make somebody walk into your store. If you put something in a magazine, you know, or on a billboard, you have no way to measure the ROI. And then like, once I went to San Francisco and found out I could do digital advertising and track everything and track my customers, I was like, oh, my God, this is the <laughs> this is so much better. <laughs> I was like, this is the shit. <laughs> and, and I, you know, just like I just I saw the light. You know, I mean, tech is great for business. Yeah, yeah, Nathan. As we wrap it up in the last few minutes here, I, I'm really intrigued. You mentioned marketing, and you've done a lot of digital marketing. Is there any particular standout uh, uh, campaigns that you would have done that you you remember that worked really well for a particular business you were involved with? No, to be honest, I never had a home run. I've never, I mean, I, I've, I've sold stuff online, but I, I haven't had that, like that campaign that went viral and I sold a hundred thousand units in a month. You know, I've, my, my, my successes in business lie, in my opinion, more in just somehow succeeding and mildly profiting in a variety of industries. I, uh, I haven't had my, my million dollar idea or marketing campaign yet. 
But uh, I've got. I actually kind of have a feeling this little bout dad life thing that I'm working on right now might be that one. It's a. It's really striking a chord with people. You know, dads. Dads are undercredited. You know, and uh, it's fun shining a light on them and seeing their response. And I feel that there's there's really some some potential for virality with that one. Well, well, let's let's talk about that. Just uh, I'm in, very intrigued because I used to run a, a podcast uh, for many years called The Entrepreneurial Dad. Started that whilst living in uh, Dubai with my kids, and uh, I, I was seeing that the, the the trend for you know being a, a work from home dad and having a different kind of relationship with my kids that than that I was used to when I was growing up. Uh, and so, what what are you trying to tap into with this uh, about dad uh, thing? Well, we're really just trying to tap into to making some positive news, honestly. We're, the, the content we're currently building is just interviewing everyday dads and just shining some praise on just good men doing good things every day. I mean, there's just so much divisive stuff being presented in, in, in digital media and traditional media. Uh, and we just we really want to create some content that's a little bit more human. And so... I mean, I, I'm a dad. My business partner is a, is a, you know, he's a godfather, but he just, he's from a big family. He loves, you know, he loves family. And so we just, we kind of want to do something to highlight dads and families. It's that's really a wonderful. kind of simply, simply well-intentioned project. Now that, that's wonderful. And where can, where can, yeah, where can people go to find out that? Uh, it's a HTTP colon double backslash bout dad, B-O-U-T D-A-D dot life. And that's it. Dad.life. Wonderful. Shouts to Teespring for the very, very easy e-commerce setup. God bless Teespring. <laughs> so, Nathan, um, it's been a wonderful chat. How, how best can people reach out and connect with you? Or, uh, yeah, what, what's the best way of getting in touch? Um, Facebook, just my name, Nathan Rafael, N-A-T-H-A-N-R-A-F-F-E-L. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and other things. Uh, Rafael official or just nrafael official some variation of that and um, my email is just nathanprafael at gmail.com Nathan it's been a, a real pleasure a real joy remind me why I do this podcast thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show and all the best yeah thanks for having me <laughs>